Hello, Hellcats. Welcome to a new episode of Ew, That's Creepy. Our theme this week is Not What It Seems, meaning the cause of death was far more mysterious than we could have ever imagined. Melissa will start by telling Jackie about the shocking deaths of Madeline Proctor and Elizabeth Barnes. Please be aware that this episode discusses mutilation of the deceased and could be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the podcast. We are here with another episode of Ooh, That's Creepy. And this time we are talking about cases that are not what they seem. Ooh. I'm so excited for this one because I swear Jackie and I have been talking about this, like doing this theme for a while, but we really couldn't find, you know, the perfect little story that we felt would fit. So I am really excited about this week's theme. I love mysterious ones, even though we hit them with the mystery last time, and we're like, more mystery. <laughs> okay, this one is mysterious, but it's not actually, like, unsolved or anything, so I'm at oh, least going yeah. to... Mine isn't either, I will say that. It's just like, ooh. Yeah, exactly. So, I... And Jackie and I also thought about, like, calling this accident suicide or murder, but obviously there's that show, so... I don't, yeah. we didn't want it to be like confusing, you know. No copyright here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I didn't want people to think we were just going to like talk about an episode that was on that show, so. But that show is lit, not gonna lie. We love that show. So, this story is actually, speaking of shows, from Homicide Hunter. Yes! <laughs> Joe Kenda. Joe Kenda. This is one of those episodes, too, where it was like, you cannot find any news articles or stories or anything. The only Sometimes I swear to God, I'm like, does he make this up? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I know he doesn't. <laughs> but I swear I'll look it up and I'll find nothing. I know. Well, especially this one, too, is like, actually, a lot of it is another police department like it's not even really him and this is in the last season so I think they kind of just you know threw this one in there because (laughs) it was in the last season but it was still wild so they threw Joe a case for his show (laughs) he's still like he was still had something to do with it but he didn't actually like solve this one but okay so this was on Homicide Hunter season 9 episode 14 and it's called Winter's Bone (laughs) I like the title yep So our story starts in Colorado in 1994 with a couple and they are going to view a home and it was high up like in the Colorado mountains. So they were looking to check out the property and um, they were going down the road and they actually saw that a car was pulled over and they were like, okay, that's kind of weird because this house was supposed to be kind of remote and they didn't expect anyone to be there. It's February in Colorado, so it is freezing. Frigid. And imagine they're going up this mountain, so it's so cold, windy as hell, freezing. I would never step out of my vehicle. <laughs> so they see this car, and they, they're like, okay, that's weird, because, you know, we didn't expect anyone else to be here, so they pull over next to it, and when they get out, they actually see that there's a body lying face down 
and they could see that the body was of a middle-aged woman and she was clearly deceased and looked like she had been for quite some time. No. Very sad. Hate to hear that's the beginning of the story. Sorry, but that's how they go sometimes. Okay. Detectives are called in immediately to go to the scene. Um, They look at the body and they confirm that it is a middle-aged female. She's face down and the car is 40 yards away from the mountains highway. And they obviously believe that her body and the car were connected because it was like there weren't that many people on this road and it was very cold. So clearly they believe that it was her car. But they didn't find any ID on her, so they weren't really 100% sure at first. And the woman didn't have a coat on or anything, so they also thought that was odd because she would have known how cold it was no matter how long her body had been there. It was freezing all the time at that time in Colorado, obviously. So they did think that was weird that her body was found without a coat or any heavy clothing. So, they also could tell that the body had been dead for a couple of days, but uh, rigor mortis hadn't set in. I mean, it had, but her body was still pretty intact because of how cold it was. So, they could see also by just looking at her that there were no signs of blood or trauma to her body at all. What the F? Yeah. So, it was kind of crazy because she was just found, you know, face down in the snow, so... Uh, police and investigators think they obviously need an autopsy because, you know, was it just really cold? But either way, why was she outside without a jacket? Yeah. So investigators and police continue and they investigate the scene uh, in the meantime to look for any clues. But they don't really see anything. And again, it was really a treacherous area at night. It was very dark. There weren't any street lights and it's freezing. So police couldn't really continue the investigation uh, once it got dark. They decided to leave and they came back the next morning. And they came back and they investigated the car because when they first were there, the car was locked, but they could see that there was a purse sitting right on the seat. Wait, it was locked? The car was locked. Hmm. So, the car was locked, but they could see that there was a purse just sitting right there. So, you know, most women don't just leave their purses sitting right on the seat if they don't intend to just come right back. Or they put their keys in the purse. Yeah, so they thought that was really odd, too, but the car was locked, so they sadly couldn't just open it and look inside. Um, But it didn't look like there were any signs of distress. Police ran the license plate of the vehicle that was there, and it came back to Madeline Proctor, a 54-year-old woman who lived in Colorado Springs. So they were finally able to open the car the next day, and when detectives opened it, they said it immediately reeked of alcohol, and that they noticed some empty bottles of wine coolers that were in the back seat. Now, I know they're going to close <clears throat> this case real quick and be like, oh, she drank and froze to death. <laughs> well, actually, no. Like, they, it's pretty surprisingly <clears throat> in this show, they were saying that they believe that she maybe pulled over on the highway or her vehicle was, like, ran off for the road for one reason or another. 
So, detectives were, like, kind of thinking more that she had to be running from something, even though there were bottles in the car. They were kind of like, if she was out there without a jacket or a coat, was someone chasing her? Did she have someone, like, with her and they somehow got away? You know? That, what happened? Yeah. That was kind of what they were thinking at first. Also, when police are in the car... They finally are able to look inside the purse, and they do see that there is a driver's license for Madeline Proctor, the owner of the vehicle, and they confirm that, based on her picture, that she was the woman who was deceased lying in the ground, sadly. So sad. Very, very tragic. Um, So, her address was in Colorado Springs, so that was 70 miles away from where she was found. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so it wasn't close, obviously. And that is how our man Joe Kenna gets brought in. Hey. Bring in the big guns for (laughs) something of this quality. Something of this nature. Yep. So they call Joe Kenna at the Colorado Springs Police Department and ask if they can, ask if he can search the name Madeline uh, to see if they have anyone listed there as a missing person. So... Joe Kenna does his little searchy search, does his thingy thing, and he does see that there was a Madeline Proctor who was reported missing five days prior by her husband, and he also notices that Madeline Proctor's daughter, Elizabeth Barnes, was also reported missing by her husband on the same day. Ew, that's weird. Yeah, so both Madeline and her daughter Elizabeth had been reported missing five days prior to Madeline's body being found on that road. So police are like, okay, that is not good. Uh, Both these women are missing. Elizabeth Barnes, she was 26 years old in a nursing... She was in a nursing program at the time of her disappearance. And she was very close to her mother, Madeline. So they clearly assumed that they were probably together the night that they disappeared, even though they had only found Madeline at the moment. So detectives go to Madeline's husband's um, house, and they start to ask him some questions because he had reported her missing. And his name was Bob. He was actually her ex-husband, but um, he did seem very concerned about her disappearance. He told police that him and Madeline had gotten divorced 10 years ago, but they were still living together at the moment. (laughs) That seems a little odd, I know. Okay, but let, uh... I can understand if it was a year ago, like 10? Okay, hold on, though. Let Bob plead his case, because police thought that, too. They were like, okay, what the hell? But Bob said that Madeline had joined the Peace Corps after they had divorced, and so she lived in Africa for several years. And then she had come back to the United States and was, like, still doing some traveling. So when they divorced, she didn't really, like, have to get a new home because she Mm -hmm. moved and was doing traveling. So then Madeline came back, and she actually got sick with malaria. Oh, God. And so Bob felt very bad for her, and he actually... He still cared about her because they were close. You know, they were still friends. Mm -hmm. And he let her move in with him, and he kind of was taking care of her a little bit. So it was very nice of Bob. And he said, you know, too, like, nothing... He told detectives nothing romantic was going on. Bob did have another roommate because Madeline had been gone for many, many years. And it was a woman named Hannah Thompson. I don't believe anything romantic was going on with her either. She was just his roommate. Um, So Bob 
moved Madeline in, and that was very nice. And he also said he didn't mind because he got to spend more time with his daughter, Elizabeth, because she was so close with Madeline. So she would come over more, and he would get to see her, and they would hang out. And so it was kind of cute. That was kind of like another reason why he let Madeline come back, and I thought that was cute. Oh, Bob seems sweet. <laughs> we like Bob. So he was clearly... You know, police questioned him for a bit, and then they kind of had to just tell him. Unfortunately, she was found, and she's deceased. He was devastated um, that she was deceased, and he was then really concerned for where Elizabeth was because he told detectives that the last time he had seen Madeline was when five, um, six days prior when Madeline and Elizabeth left together. They said that. They were going to the local community college library to work on a project together. Which I kind of like was, when I heard that, I was like, why is Madeline going with her daughter? Yeah, like, the, uh, like, mom would never come with one of us yeah. to college to help us. I mean, maybe if we asked her, she would. Mm-hmm. But they had to have, like, done this, they had to have done this before, because he didn't think anything of it, and he said that, yeah, like, they did go to the library frequently. Okay. So, they had left together, and he said that they didn't return, and Bob just kind of assumed that they had gotten tired, and Madeline just stayed at Liz's house, because she's an adult, she's 26, but the next morning... Liz, her husband Mike, frantically came to Bob's house and was like, where is Liz? She didn't come home. Is she here? And then he also was like, her dog Badger is gone, and if she took Badger with her, then um, like, where are they? But sadly, of course, Bob was like, uh, I thought they were with you. And then that was when they both reported them missing. That's horrible. Mm-hmm. Another significant thing that Bob tells detectives is that Liz, her husband did not like Madeline. He kind of was, like, annoyed that her and Liz were so close. You know, that kind of thing. He didn't think that she should be hanging out with her mom as much, I guess. Whatever. I mean, but... Okay, Mike. (laughs) Police are starting to wonder, what if Mike, the husband, got fed up with the relationship and kind of, like went after them, or maybe he was with them that night or something. So, detectives obviously realize they need to bring Mike in at some point. First, though, in the meantime, they are going to go back and investigate the scene where Madeline was found, because obviously they're like, if people are saying that they were together that night, then she's probably there. And detectives also thought something was up because they, when they had told Bob that, you know, there were some wine coolers in the backseat, he was like, what? Like, they never drank. Madeline and Elizabeth never drank. They're pretty straight-laced, and I don't think that they would have, you know, just, like, wine coolers in the backseat. That's not right. That's so strange. Yeah, so detectives are kind of wondering, you know, like, was someone else in the car? What is up? So they really need to go back to the scene, and they go back to where Madeline was originally found to see if there was, if Liz was nearby, or if there was footprints or anything. So they start to start to search from the car, moving outward, and they're about 100 yards away from the woods at this point. You know, it's pretty treacherous, it's kind of like rocky, and as they're moving farther away, 
they start to hear the small sounds of yipping, and they realize that it's a dog. No! Out, out in the woods, and it's freezing cold. So, police move closer to the sound, and they see, um, okay, let me just say there's a big trigger warning for this part. This part is kind of gross. Just letting everyone know. <laughs> trigger warning. <laughs> So, police move closer, and they do see that there is a, the body of a female is lying on the ground, and a small dog is sitting on top of her body, and as police approach, they see that, sadly, the dog had begun to um, feed off of the woman, and he, the dog was eating her face, because the dog had been tied to her wrist, and it was tied so tightly that it couldn't get off of her arm, <clears throat> so it was stuck to her. In, like, these freezing conditions out there in the snow. And it was five days that they had been out there. So, it was kind of sad. But, um, it was a very sad situation. And it was very traumatizing for police investigators to see that, clearly. To come up and, like, see something so inhumane happening. Even though it was life or death for a dog, it's still to see... A dog eating its owner after they're deceased was so traumatizing for some of these investigators. So, the scene was, like, really very sad for everyone. Uh, police did could see that the caller on the dog was named Badger. So, they knew that it was Liz and Badger who were together. That was very, very sad. And, um... Police also noticed around the scene of Liz's body that there was a lot of footprints and they were going in odd patterns around her. So they were wondering, you know, like, was she running back and forth and trying to, like, escape or she couldn't find her way or was there someone chasing her? Uh, But they really couldn't tell yet. So they needed to bring in a, a forensic investigator to specifically look at the footprints and tell them if it was more than one person, what was up with that. The coroner showed up, and he, very similar to Madeline, said that there were no external injuries on Liz's body besides that what was caused by Badger, unfortunately. So, at the scene, he couldn't immediately say what had killed Liz. Another extremely odd thing that police found, they, um, they found the set of car keys that were missing, So, they did find the set of keys, and it was, like, away from Liz a little bit. I don't think they were right on her pockets. So, they realized that Liz had the keys, and Madeline, you know, was, like, a hundred or so yards away where the car was, but Liz had the keys down here. So, they're really kind of thinking, like, was someone chasing them, and they ran into the woods? Yeah, someone kidnapped them, and then, like, took Liz out to the woods, and then... Actually, but how would he get back? I don't know. I'm messed up from this story. I don't have any comments. <laughs> I know. Sorry. It went, like, from being not that bad to really sad and really fucked up so fast. So, I'm sorry. Yeah, it did. But just keep going. Get us through it now. Yeah, but... So, you know, detectives are really just like, what the hell at this point? This is... Nothing is making sense. What the H? Yeah. So... You know, they're like, okay, let's go back to Liz's husband, Mike. We need to chase him down. Obviously, at this point, this is sad, but we need to tell him that his wife is deceased and we're going to need to ask him some questions. So, they bring in Mike. He does act a little odd and, like, standoffish during their questioning. 
So they were kind of like, are you just, you know, a little strange and introverted or do you know something? But my kind of concrete alibi for the time and for that night that they had went missing, he was at work and police were very quickly able to determine that he was at work in his first interview. Um, So they do tell him, sadly, you know, that Liz had passed. He kind of was, you know, they said took it a little strange, didn't get all that upset, but was just like quiet. I don't know. Who's to say? What did they do with the dog? Do you know? Um, I believe they just said that they gave it to the Humane Society for them because it was kind of traumatized. So I think they like gave it to people for the meantime because it was clearly in a very sad situation where it had to do something for its life. Okay. Just wondering. Yeah. They didn't kill it or anything, if that's what you're asking. Well, I would hope not. After mm-hmm. all that, it des- kind of deserves to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Mike, he was upset, and, uh, you know, he did tell police that he he didn't think that Madeline was... He didn't dislike Madeline, you know, no matter what Bob had said. He just said that he thought Madeline was a bad influence on Liz. And they were like, Madeline is a bad influence on her daughter? Like, that's what you're saying? And he said, yeah. He didn't say exactly why, but he said that in the past couple of weeks that Liz had been acting a little differently, and so he just said that he thought uh, Madeline was the cause and that she was uh, a bad influence. So they were like, okay, we're going to need to look into that more because that is kind of weird. Literally, explain yourself. Yeah, like, what does that mean? Like, you can't just say that after what has occurred. Like, that is not going to be just, oh, acting weird. Yeah, so he's saying that her mom is a bad influence on her. What is up with that? Yeah, like, how is she acting weird? Give us specifics. So he said that, he told detectives that on the night that Liz went missing, he was home, and that Liz was getting herself dressed, and she said she was going out with her mom, Madeline. But he was like, mm, okay, she was getting herself all dolled up and putting makeup on, but she said the same story that they were just going to the library to work on a project. So he was like, okay, that seems suspect that you're going to the library, but you're getting all dolled up. And he told detectives, though, that Liz had been going to the library often with her school mentor, a young man named Peter Gosher. So... Mike wondered to himself, you know, was Liz, like, maybe having an affair with this mentor and Madeline was just covering for her or something like that? So police were kind of like, okay, this could be a lead. So they go to the library and see if they can verify that Liz and Madeline went there and see if this Peter Gosher person was there with them. So they go to the college library And they asked the librarian to see the logs from that night, and they discovered that Liz nor Madeline ever checked into the library that night. Wow. Mm Mm-hmm. So that was a lie. Where were they going? Girl. But they actually do see that at that time, Peter Gosher is in the library, so they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll just interview him while we're here. Might as well. So they do, and he says that it was just, a friendly relationship with Liz and that he was just helping her. He was her school mentor. They were just cooling. Yeah, chilling. He did say though that in recent weeks, Liz seemed to become less focused on her nursing program and she had even blown Pete off a couple of times when they were supposed to study together 
But she kind of was like, that's unusual. She's pretty dedicated. So what's kind of going on in the last few weeks? Which was similar to what Mike had told them with Liz. So they're kind of like, hmm, what's going on? Yeah. When detectives asked Pete about Liz's disappearance and death, he actually, like, hadn't heard about it yet. So he was shocked. And they, they could tell that he was very upset. And they, um... Pete also had an alibi. He said that he was at the library that night and then after he attended a lecture and uh, they were able to confirm both of those. So Pete was not a suspect either. Damn. So now police are really confused because Bob and Mike said that, you know, they gave them that story that they were going to the library but clearly they did not, and they found all those wine coolers in the back seat. So they're like, what is going on? And every single guy who seems suspicious in their life, we've crossed off. So they're back at square one. It's neither the, their husbands, a side boo, nothing like that. And um, they also were in touch by the forensic investigator who looked at the footprints. And he said that the footprints around Liz's body were all her own. And there were no other footprints from anyone there that night. There were no other footprints. So they really are what? like, what is going on? Did she lose the keys? Somehow? So, I don't know. So, okay. So police are just like, let's just start at square one. And they, you know, just look at everything on a map. And when they do, one detective is like, I know where they were going. I can see from where they lived that they were going to Cripple Creek, which is a, where this little area and it has huge casinos and gambling and alcohol. So, you know, like if you're trying to get away from Colorado Springs, you'll drive over to Cripple Creek and party What? Mm-hmm. That's weird, though, that they said they're, like, not partiers. Yeah. So, that part was very weird because Bob didn't know that and Mike didn't say anything about his wife, you know, partying or anything like that. So, detectives still are like, okay, maybe they went to the casino and someone followed them or got in their car or something. But then they were like, no, because of the footprints, there's nothing else there that's saying that. Yeah. So... Finally, detectives get some concrete evidence because the coroner calls them and says that the autopsies are done. So, the coroner confirms there's no external injuries. There's not a needle mark, puncture wounds, nothing. Toxicology reports were ran, and it did show that they had somewhat high blood alcohol levels for both of the women. But... These reports also showed that there was a high dose of the antidepressant Zoloft. So in 1994, when this happened, Zoloft was just beginning to be popular uh, for depression. The side effects obviously weren't as well known as they are today. So wasn't probably told to them, definitely don't mix this with alcohol and things like that. Yeah. So the toxicologist said that the cause of death wasn't an overdose that wasn't the Zoloft or the alcohol mixed together. He said that it was, um... Hypothermia? Yeah, hypothermia. Or, I'm sorry, it was a death due to exposure and secondary cause of hypothermia. So he believed that because the women had that altitude and were drinking and took a Zoloft, that all of those things put together would cause severe confusion and disorientation. What? 
That, mm-hmm. what, bo- so both of them. Mm-hmm. Both of them. I'm sorry, but how do you, even if you don't know, drinking and driving and then popping a bean, it's all so much, so dangerous. And they're obviously in Colorado. It's not like they're like on flat roads. Yeah, it's really not good. And it's That's like crazy. Driving 70 miles, too. So, yeah. Wow. Without even telling anybody. But I'm sorry. We shouldn't victim blame no, or anything. I'm not, like, that's victim, not... I'm not victim blaming whatsoever because I feel like there's nothing to blame. Like, this is just so... Tragic. Crazy. It's such a crazy story. Mm-hmm. I don't... Like, obviously they didn't think this would happen at all. It's just insane, like, that they didn't tell anybody. Yeah. So, police looked into both Liz and Madeline's prescriptions, and they see that neither of them are prescribed Zoloft, either. So, they're like, okay, yeesh. Hmm. Someone has to know, then. Mm-hmm. So, they go to Madeline's home that she was sharing with ex-husband Bob and his roommate, Hannah. Detectives just do kind of a basic search, and they see that there is a bottle of Zoloft prescribed to Hannah Thompson. <gasps> oh. Hannah reluctantly admits that, you know, she was diagnosed with depression and prescribed the medication, and she does say that she did notice that pills were going missing and that she believed that Madeline was stealing them. But I think that Hannah, she was, you know, just a roommate. I don't think that she wanted to, like, bring this up to, you know, the this ex-wife who was there because of an illness. She didn't want to throw her under the bus or mm-hmm. anything. So she didn't say anything. She just kind of was like acting like she didn't see it, which is very unfortunate. So police are assuming that that is where she would have gotten them from. And with all of that information coming to light, you know, police are really putting this picture together. So on the night of their disappearance, the girls obviously told everyone that they were going to the library. And that night they planned to get a little turn and go to the casino. Can I just say real quick, I am very confused, though, why she took her dog. And that's another thing they don't know either. They don't know if it was just out of habit, like, to bring her dog. Is it small, I'm assuming? Yeah, it was smaller. Like, I think it was a bulldog or something like that. So it was smaller. I don't know if it was for security or something like that. I have no idea. I thought the same thing. But either way... It was believed that, you know, the women got in the car and then started to drink a little bit and then took the Zoloft. So they started to drive upward and eventually the mountain road is as high as 9,000 feet above sea level. Wow. So they clearly don't realize the effects of the alcohol and the Zoloft together are just getting very disorienting. And with the elevation. Mm Mm-hmm. So nothing is confirmed, but police believe that most likely the two either got into an argument and pulled over or maybe like her dog had to go to the bathroom and then they pulled over and that was why she was like walking with her dog and it was tied to her wrist when she was found that's kind of what police think so they believe that they voluntarily pulled over and that liz got out of the car to most likely let badger go to the bathroom and liz got out and she took the keys with her And so, Madeline stayed in the car, but when Liz didn't immediately return because she just kind of, like, walked off and got disoriented, she didn't return, and Madeline gets out of the car and, you know, yells around for Liz, 
and then she gets out to kind of see where Liz is or if she's around. And when she does, the car locks behind her and Liz has the keys and Madeline cannot get back in. That is so sad. So Madeline continues to stand outside and yell for Liz while Liz is disoriented, like walking in the woods kind of far off behind them. Um, Police believe that tragically the two women Two women probably just got disoriented from all of the elements and laid down and like, you know, just they say that when you get hypothermia, you just feel tired and you lie down and then you kind of just like pass away from the elements. So they believe that's probably what happened to both of them. Um, and it's very, that's literally the saddest story I have ever heard in my life. I know. I was the equivalent of me just watching Requiem for a Dream. I am so sorry, and I know that this case, like, it's horrible, but there is a reason why I did it, and I just wanted to say that you know, when there are missing people's cases and things like that, like, sometimes things seem so nefarious and horrible at the moment, like someone had to do this or things like that. But sometimes it really is crazy when it's just an accident and, like, it wasn't someone else and things like that. So, it's not that I enjoyed this case or anything like that. I just thought it was crazy because it was, like, as horrible as it was for once it was, like, no one, you know. That doesn't make it any better, but I was just, like, it's crazy because, you know, these things can happen and you don't think they will happen to you until something like this crazy does happen to you. And it's sad, and it was very tragic. I agree. That is really sad. And it is, like, they still deserve to be remembered and stuff. Like, Mm -hmm. I never heard that story, and maybe because it's so sad and horrific, but it still is crazy. Yeah, a daughter who was a student, a mother who served in the Peace Corps, and all just because, you know, they kind of wanted to have a little fun and do something like that. And it's sad, but, like, I'm assuming that they were using a little bit before that happened if they said that they were acting kind of weird. Yeah, that's what I think, But too. I'm not going to make assumptions. I mean, that's just kind of how the facts seem. That but, is what the show... Know. The show was implicating, like, that they had done this before and that when she was blowing off uh, her friend at the library, they were implicating, you know, that her mother and her had done this before, like, went to the casino and... I wonder if anyone had seen them before there. I don't know. I don't think they did that much they investigating. They probably didn't publicize it either. Like, yeah, I don't think they did they that much. <laughs> exactly. And it really, like I said, scarred some of these investigators seeing their bodies, like seeing Liz's body as horrible as it, as horrible as it was, you know, the, it kind of scarred them a little bit. So, um, it was very sad and it's tragic, but like I said, I just wanted to do this case because sometimes things really do happen in a tragic accident, and all you can try and do is prepare yourself, people. Yeah, that's true. I got nothing. Yeah, but uh, like I said, I just I do think we should uh, remember Liz and her mother Madeline, and obviously it's very sad for Bob and Mike too. They really did yeah. have nothing to do with this at all, and they both each lost their wives, so that is very tragic. And Bob lost a daughter, so that is extra tragic. But that is very sad. And may they rest in much peace, mm-hmm. much peace and love. But like I, 
like I said, isn't it, like, the one thing I will say that is like to this case is the fact that Joe Kenda, literally all he did was tell them that she was missing in Colorado Springs. Like, that was his part in the episode. The detective solved all the other wow. stuff. That's uh-huh. pretty imp- honestly, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I was, like, good for them, but that was kind of why in the beginning I was like, he's not really, like, in this episode, cause it's in, but it's in the ninth season, so I think they just needed the content. But isn't it sad that that's kind of my initial thought? That's what I thought at the very, very beginning, hmm. was that they drank, and then hyperthermia but it's still just yeah. so weird i know i think it was just like they didn't i think it's the fact that they were driving that entire time and then they got up and then they probably got it probably hit them when they got up and they were probably just so disoriented that i they honestly even... wonder if they maybe just even pulled over because they felt so disoriented they didn't feel safe to drive maybe it's just weird that she was going to walk her dog and it was around her wrist you know like yeah maybe when... it was just like she thought she had to take him out but it's just like why walk him yeah i guess if you're disoriented though i mean what i don't know oh my gosh and one part of the story i forgot to say was that Bob told the investigators that Madeline had really bad eyesight. Like, she did not drive in the dark. So, it was clearly Liz who was driving. So, she was probably the one who, like, that was kind of too wide. They think, like, maybe she said, like, I need to pull over to let the dog go. And then... It's just so weird you wouldn't leave the car running if it was, like, cold. I know. Like, why did you take the key? Because then you could have, like, heard and the engine still and seeing the lights yeah or beep the horn yeah but uh, it's just so sad i mean obviously they must have been really disoriented because at this point you could say like well they could have done this they could have done this like it's so true so true it's like yeah if you're that disoriented you probably would just fall asleep and then not make the night and that's exactly what they probably said happened with like how fast hypothermia sets in when you're it's february and they didn't like you know Madeline didn't even have a large coat on because she was just expecting to yell outside and then got locked out of the car. So that was why she didn't have a coat. That's horrific. Let's be done with this. I'm sorry. I know it's horrible, but... (laughs) I don't want to talk about it anymore. I know you guys like good, like, good stories, so... You guys like that messed up stuff. We need to put a trigger warning in the comments for this one, though. That was why I said trigger warning. I put a trigger warning in the beginning of every episode. That's why I give me a little blurb. We need to put it in the comments, too. I'll I'll put it everywhere. I will. Don't worry. Blurb it everywhere. I'll blurb her everywhere. Blurb her up. (laughs) All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Let us know if you guys like these kind of themes, or let us know if you're like Jackie and you're like, this is too much. Mine is like, mine's more well known and it's not super sad, but it's a good one, which is why I want to do it. It's just like so much tea. Sorry. I hope you guys still like mine. I hope it was enough tea. I liked it. I hope it wasn't sad tea. It was sad (laughs) tea, but it's whatever. Mm, Sorry. It's okay. Happy fall. (laughs) So we'll see you guys next time. Yeah, I love you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Love and light. Yeah. (laughs) Thoughts and prayers. Bye. Bye. Want to creep on us? Follow us on social media at ew, that's creepy podcast, or send us an email at ew, that's creepy podcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, creepy cats.